Hi, this is Joey Brandon. Welcome to the Axiom Podcast. This week, I asked my good friend Ben Sturgill to come in and talk to us about recessions and the markets and economics and what business owners need to be doing with regard to all these things. It's, he's incredibly smart. He's very insightful. He's also been a small business owner. He's walked in the shoes of the people that we serve every day, and uh, his advice is always very pragmatic. So I'm excited for you to hear what he has to say. He's got some tools for us to use, some ways that we can get access to and take advantage of financial information and market information and industry information that can make a, a difference in your business and prepare you for what's coming so that you come out of it even stronger than you are now. So here's the podcast with Ben Sturgill. I hope you enjoy it. Well, Ben, we've been uh, hearing a lot about recessions and downturns in the economy and post-COVID and inflation and all that stuff. So we wanted to have you on to talk about all that from the and, and give our small business owners some insight. Obviously, this is uh, selfish of me, too, because I'm going to take notes on everything you say and probably <laughs> parrot it, you know, over the next few weeks as we meet with clients. But, uh, you know, what... Let's start basics. What is a recession? Is it just a gut feeling of things are bad now? Is there a technical definition for, you know, what is a recession? How do we know when we're there? Sure. Yeah, there is a technical definition for the recession. It's uh, two quarters of negative real GDP growth. So uh, if real GDP goes negative instead of, you know, staying flat or moving positive, goes negative for two consecutive quarters, well, then technically that's what a recession is. And so, you know, that's the indicator that you would look for. So are we there right now? Are we get, are we headed there? What, we're, what's the current state? A good question. So we're not there yet. We did okay. have Q1 uh, indicate that that was negative GDP. And now we're still waiting for Q2. We're not at a Q2 yet here in 2022. So we don't know yet because we don't have that number. But there are other things that we can look to to say, are we there? Are we getting there? And, you know, those would tend to, I, I honestly, right now, they're a little bit mixed, but they are, you know, trending in that direction because you can look year over year, quarter over quarter, and they tend to be trending in that direction. And there's, you know, almost a full expectation that that is where we'll be at the end of Q2. And most folks would probably be surprised if we weren't okay. in recession by the end, by July. So my general impression of, you know, I know enough economics to get myself in trouble and put my foot in my mouth. But in terms of like efficient markets and, you know, purely efficient markets, which there may be some debate about whether we have that or not. But in general, that idea of the markets now have built in everything that you're saying. So they're not necessarily, the markets aren't waiting to necessarily react to what they expect to happen. They, they expect things to happen and they start pricing things today based on what they believe is going to happen in the future. Um, so ostensibly, that would mean that stock market prices and futures prices have are, are already expecting a recession to come. Is that a fair? Is that what the markets are saying as well? Well, there is that market theory of efficiency. And generally, I believe in market efficiency. Now, there's certain outside things that weigh on that, namely the Fed printing 40% of the money supply that has ever existed in the history of the you know, US, which we can get into and has had its own impact. But I would say generally, it's efficient market. And yes, it does try to price in you know, future in terms of what it knows, four to six months out generally is is how I expect the market, you know, to price those things in. But then things are always evolving in terms of what what is true, what they believe to be true, and then what could be true. And so, for example, today we see Target 
right? I don't know if your wife, you know, Josie goes to Target oh, too yeah. much. I know my wife, you know, hopefully not too much. <laughs> <laughs> I know my my wife loved Target, but you know, there are these there are these little signs, these little indicators that can can say, well, what do we know about retail sales? What do we know about consumer sentiment? Is there discretionary capital that people have to go and spend? And if not, are we seeing that pullback? Well, we got a report just this morning that you know Target has an inventory issue, right, where they have excess inventory. And so, what does that say that one of our most popular retail stores has excess inventory. Again, these are these little signs that point forward. And then what happens with Target? Well, the price in Target drops because though we know that, you know, uh, and Target has dropped significantly uh, recently, we know that retail sales is getting hit. We see that from, from other folks in the retail space, but then you see these little signs here and there. And then once we see that, oh, they're having an inventory issue, then we see price drop even more. And so, yes, it is efficient. It does try to forecast out four to six months, given what it knows and what it thinks it knows. But then once more information becomes readily available, it, it then quickly assimilates that into price. So if I'm, uh, if, if I'm using that four to six month time frame, and I say, wow, the, the price of Target dropped and the price of other, other retail areas are dropping, does that mean that I as a consumer can expect this to kind of impact me four to six months from now? Like what does that look, if a small business owner today is looking at the price of Target, like what, is there any kind of particular time frame that they should be looking for? Like I got four to six months to act, you know, I don't know what action looks, we'll talk about that. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you about that too. Sure. Like you're gonna have all the answers today, but, um, <laughs> You know, what, is, is that a four to six month, uh, like, heads up? Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, when you look at the turn of the year, right, markets generally peaked end of December. And it was the, the Fed that kind of starts to get hawkish in November, uh, December-ish. And that's what they, they started to talk about. And, and so once they started to talk about that, well, then into January and then into February, the market started to uh, acclimate for that, right? So the market starts to turn. And interestingly enough, you know, as of a couple of weeks ago, now it has bounced a little bit since, but as of a couple of weeks ago, we had the second worst beginning to the year since the Great Depression in the markets. That's depressing. That's hard. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, and just in terms of the steepness and significance of its pullback. Now, that being said, it's now June. So I would argue that the Fed was indicating what they were going to do back in November and December, and then the market starts discounting that. And now here in June, we start feeling the price of that inflation. We start feeling the price of that at the gas pumps. We start feeling that impact, and the market has, has already gotten there, right? So the hard part about that is sometimes that can be uh, cyclical in nature in the sense that think about all these baby boomers, right? We're going to get into to demographics here, I'm sure, in terms of how it makes all this impact. But think about your average 70-year-old who turned 70 this year, massive generation. They turn 70, they say, hey, it's time to retire. They get out of the workforce. And they're doing so when the market is at, you know, at or near an all-time high. They're feeling pretty good about their wealth, right? About what they've got, sure. what they've got to retire on. And then the beginning of 2022 <laughs> kicks in and... I read a statistic the other day that in terms of like household wealth, this pullback in the market has cost, you know, American, you know, wealth, something like four or five trillion dollars. Holy cow. And so, you know, you decide to retire thinking that you have, you know, this money to live on. And then all of a sudden, you know, if you're not positioned right in terms of, you know, equities versus bonds in your retirement, then all of a sudden, you know, you have far 
less wealth than you think you did. So does that impact what you buy? Does that impact how you travel? Does that impact if you move? And so therefore, you know, as the market comes down, it becomes cyclical in some nature because it impacts consumer sentiment. And really that's what the market is. Mm -hmm. The market is a reflection of the collective emotional um, beliefs of its participants. And, and as confidence comes down and as you know, fear increases, we start to see that market pull back. And so that's where uh, so much of the market isn't necessarily a direct reflection of price. It's a direct reflection of sentiment, a feeling of what people believe. And so that's where, where fear comes into play. And that's where, uh, that's where the market tends to be a little bit uh, ahead of where people actually feel it and how sometimes that can just spiral. So we may be getting way down a rabbit hole, but it's fun. <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting conversation and I'm getting educated. But so in the sense that it's cyclical where the, the Fed makes a move, it impacts the markets. People's wealth goes down. They constrain their spending because they're like, oh, man, my, my Merrill statement shows that I'm worth $200,000 less than I was three months ago. We right. can't take the vacation to Florida. We can't take the kids to Disney. Um, we're we're going to stop going out to eat as often, which then impacts Disney and Target and Outback Steakhouse. You know, right. and, and so their prices – at what point – so everybody's kind of feeling – you know, blah about their their personal balance sheet, and so that's affecting their behavior, which is then affecting the businesses even more. Do they at some point just kind of get numb to the pain, and they're like, you know, you know, I'm as I'm as depressed as I'm going to get, so we're going to Outbook, you know, damn the torpedoes, we're going to spend money on a vacation. Like, how did at what point do you does that reverse? Because it seems like it would be this ever depressing cycle that would just drive things into the ditch. Right, right. Well, there's a couple of things that happen there. Right, there's things that the government tries to do, the Fed particularly tries to do to encourage that. Right, it's this. That's the interesting job of the Fed, right? They really have two jobs. Their job is jobs and their job is inflation. Now, when you look at those two things, how are they doing? Well, job numbers are pretty good, right? We are almost back in terms of the jobs created. We just had non-farm payroll to where we had almost as many jobs as we had prior to, you know, the jobs that were lost from the pandemic. Okay. But for a year and a half now, they've been saying, oh, no, don't worry about inflation. It's, it's transitory, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm just a macro tourist, right? But I, I could have looked at that then and said, I don't know, guys, right? Because there is just this, you know, uh, culminating of, of events between pandemic, you know, work from home, you name it. So much shifted in a matter of a couple of years to where now the Fed's very credibility is, is on trial. Right to where just last week you had you know Fed Chairman Powell and Janet Yellen with the president doing the photo op, and it was Biden who not I mean he ordered uh, Powell you must lower inflation right and and then even Yellen went so far as to say ah like I got it wrong right I didn't understand the circumstances and so they have the ability to impact the markets by raising interest rates right by saying hey actually you know what. Now that everyone is, you know, the, the job of the Fed, and they say in the past, is they're going to raise interest rates until they break something. And then once they break something, right, or enough things are broken, then they start to stop or then they start to turn it around. And that tends in the past to be some of the, the things that will change sentiment or shift people's minds, that if money becomes cheaper to borrow, well, then you incentivize them enough to borrow it and to buy and to spend and you kind of... So I, I feel bad about my personal balance sheet but I can I can still take that vacation and just finance it, right? And I'm not going to feel the pain 
Right. Know, I'm yeah. not going to see you, that hit my bank account for a while. You can do that for, for cheap enough. And so that's what the Fed, but the problem is the Fed's in this really you know tough spot here where uh, they, because their credibility is at stake, because they have been you know directly ordered to fight inflation, there is the argument that they are not going to, they've already, there's a hundred percent probability of them raising interest rates here in June and also in July. The question is now September. And that's really what the market's trying to figure out. Are they going to hold off? Are they going to, are they going to raise? Are they going to raise even more? And I would argue that they are going to, you know, they erred too far on one side of not raising them fast enough back in the fall. And they just kept claiming transitory. Now they're saying we need to retire that term. That's not true. Inflation's here. It's impacting people. And now I think they might swing the pendulum too hard to the other side. And do they just raise it enough to break enough things and, and enough, you know, demand? Because demand is really the problem right now. If they can break that and lower inflation, because that is now their mandate and they're fighting for their own credibility, then I think you can start to see, you know, this basing. And then ultimately, do they start to turn and shift the other way to where they'll begin lowering rates to cool down the economy and to incentivize folks to kind of crawl out of their hole and start spending again. Yeah. Well, you, you just said something there that resonated with me, which is demand is the problem. Um, and I can tell you with our clients, that is a lot of the issue. You know, there's just, there's so much demand. Uh, they've had a hard time keeping up with orders. And, you know, some of that uh, I've kind of always heard, well, we're in Southwest Florida. It's, you know, where everybody wants to live. Uh, it was all, you know, we were also kind of the epicenter of the real estate bubble back in 2007, mm-hmm. eight, nine. Um, but now we're kind of the epicenter of demand and all the inflation that has come with that. So you're saying that as the Fed raises rates, it's going to curb demand. I think we're, I talked to a friend of mine who owns a real estate brokerage in Northwest Bradenton, and he's already seeing it. Last mm-hmm. week we had lunch and he's like, we, we've seen it in the last week. Things have slowed down. It's not... It's still good. We've still got plenty of business coming, but not like we did two or three weeks ago. Talked to a custom home builder uh, two weeks ago, and he'd had four, um, you know, pretty massive homes back out. You know, these usually from people from other parts of the country who are coming down here to build their dream home. And they, you know, because of other things that are happening in their lives, other businesses, they're like, yeah, we're gonna, we might hold off on that. So is that the general? Um, what we're seeing right now, it's just all of that demand. It just hasn't slowed down yet. Are you speaking specifically for housing or well, housing? Uh, I'm trying to think, I mean, pretty much everything home services down here. You know, if you, if you own anything that does HVAC or electric or, uh, plumbing, pest control, lawn maintenance, I mean, mm-hmm. you've, you're not a pool, pool server. I talked to a pool service guy the other day. He's like, you know, I can't find enough people. I've got more people than I ever had and I need more because there's all these new pools going in. So yeah, I mean, I guess it's all kind of tied to that construction world. Right. I mean, this is where in the, you know, as we talk about recession, one of the hard parts is that uh, it doesn't always hit all parts of America, all people and all sectors in the same way at the same time. Right. When you think, I mean, we live in Florida, so I've, I've lived here for, you know, four years. You've lived here your whole life. I've never been here through a hurricane. I hear about it. People tell me about it in the past. But when a hurricane hit, hits Florida, like it has you know, in the past, it hits a panhandle. Here we are in Southwest Florida, and we're braced for it 
And we might get clouds, we might get a lot of rain, but we don't get destroyed like you know Panama City or Destin got destroyed a couple of years ago. Right. And I think that that's true for different parts of the country, for different sectors, and for you know for different um, class. You know, to be honest with you, because if you're in a in a class where Gosh, your margin of, of life is you have an extra 200 bucks, you know, a month to, to go out to eat or to go to the movies or do some fun. And then gas prices go up. That's gone. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you're living on credit cards. And then, you know, that change for someone who is making a quarter million dollars a year. You might just you might not go to Tahiti. You might go to Hawaii. Right. You might go <laughs> you know, to Napa Valley instead. Right. So it impacts them in different ways. And you're right. I think we live in a very unique spot in the country here where COVID has changed work. It's changed home demand because now that you can work from home, people want to have the bigger home. They want to have the nicer home. It was during COVID all of a sudden where you're like, you could have had 3,000 space you know, yeah. feet and then man. your kids are home on top of you. You're like, man, we need we four need and a half, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, we did the same thing. We moved from 2,400 to 4,000. Like, I got to get an office upstairs. I need some more yeah. sound insulation, right? You know, <laughs> And so people are, that. that's how it's changing that demand. Uh, and I think it's changing it specifically here because we've got you know the weather, we've got you know the beach, we've got these things. I think we are in a unique spot in that regard, as well as the fact that we are in a tax you know uh, kind of haven in Florida. And also, COVID has changed where people want to live. I, I mean, I have neighbors on my street from New Jersey, New York, and California because they're like, man, we're getting out of those places, yeah. right? And this is where they've come, and so it's created this elevated demand. Uh, here versus other parts of the country. Now, that being said, we are seeing real estate demand in other parts of the country, but I think it's it's really exemplified here, which is why inflation has gone, you know, I think this is one of the highest inflation areas in the whole country, if I'm wrong, Joe. Yeah, well, it's certainly, in, we see the inflation in, uh, inflation in materials and inflation in labor prices for the clients that we have. And, um, you know, I think the the more sophisticated businesses that have um, kind of technology built into their pricing systems, meaning at the touch of a button, they can kind of change prices. And so if you're quoting, you know, quoting bespoke work, whether that's a house or a roof mm-hmm. or repipe or, you know, what, or you've just got a, a plumbing service guy going out and you say, hey, um, the, the price of CSRs is going up four bucks an hour, right? Because mm-hmm. they can all go somewhere else and make some, And so we need to increase wages across the board and we need to add $5 per truck, you know, for per trip charged for every truck stop. Uh, if they can go in and they can make that change in their computer system and they, and they can pass those costs along, um, I think with the frustrating part for some of them is that you've got some some less sophisticated businesses that aren't doing that. And so mm-hmm. they, they make two calls and one person has priced in the wage inflation that they have. The other person hasn't. And they take the person, they take the call that's got a five dollar an hour cheaper rate and they say, you come fix my pipes. Uh, the, the problem is, you know, that business owner is calling us you know, a year from now being like, I'm not making any money. Like, right. can you help me turn this around? And it's and it's just it's one of those things where if you can pass all the, the cost of plywood, you know, tripling, and, you know, if you can get that into your system now and not have this 60 day window where you've paid triple for plywood versus what you're paying a year ago, but you've passed none of that cost along to the customer. It's all come out of your gross profit. You're hurting. Um, I just, I, I think business owners in some respects want things to go back to the easy days when I didn't have to have as advanced systems. I could drag right. my feet a little bit. I could kick that can down the road cause I have other fires to put out. And right now the ones who 
um, who have the ability to make those changes rapidly to have a pretty big competitive advantage on paper <laughs> because the customers are still taking advantage of the fact that some business owners are behind the curve right. and they haven't built those prices in. So that's kind of where we're at on the inflation side. Um, I, I Talk about um, jobs a little bit and, mm-hmm. and the job market in particular and um, – you know, is this a is this a temporary bump in your opinion that we've seen and and like you can't a fifteen dollar the fifteen dollar an hour, um, I'll call it blue collar job doesn't exist anymore. Maybe for a teenager who's sixteen or or, or eighteen uh, or nineteen, you know, that doesn't have a lot of education and you know they're gonna work in a restaurant or something like that. But if they want to go if they want to go dig ditches, you know, and and be an apprentice plumber like that ship sailed of the $17 an hour apprentice. Is that gone forever? Or will some of this pull back if we do go into a recession? Is that going to change some of that? I think some of it will pull back. I think the biggest thing that we need to understand, most folks need to understand about the market, about, about, and you've seen this in your time in business, is, you know, the cyclicality of it, right? Everything is in cycles, right? And we see we see this in the market. It goes up, it goes down, it's in these waves. We, I oftentimes talk about four phases of the market, which is amazing because we have four seasons in the year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see these patterns across uh, nature, across business. And what we've generally seen since, you know, the great, you know, 2008 financial crisis is that Something happened there, Joe. Something changed where, you know, we have Ben Bernanke. And this is where I'm a nerd out for just 30 seconds. I no, promise go, I'll bring go it there. No, you go. Where we have Ben Bernanke. He's the, he's the father of modern monetary theory where for the first time we, you know, collateralize debt. And we say, hey, we effectively, we don't need to go through those cycles. Right, these recessions or these these kind of you know ramp ups, cool you know slow down, cool <laughs> drawback, basing, ramp up, right? That those used to take years before, and and you know call it what you want, call it the Amazon two day delivery, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know instant gratification culture we have. But since two thousand eight, once we you know started collateralizing debt, you know we just pump money into the system. Anytime there's a problem, print money. Another problem, just print money. And the problem is that it worked. Right in the short term, and so every time there's a problem, we'll just print money, right? And it, and so then, what do we do when we have the pandemic that shuts down the world? Let's just print some more money. Yeah, how right? many trillion dollars got introduced into the money supply? Exactly, and so you know you see that, and and really what it stopped was the natural cycle of what should happen. Right. And cycles are, are actually good. I mean, I'm, you know, I know we live in Florida. We don't have really seasons. I was going to say, <laughs> right? we said four seasons. I'm like, you're Ohio, New Hampshire that's seasons. Right, right? That's right. <laughs> but those seasons were, you know, for the sake of even nature, they're good. Right. I mean, you have, uh, there, there's benefits. I could go into those. But, you know, those seasons, I think, are important. And, and so in those seasons, uh, benefits come from things that shouldn't be, that exist in a particular, for example, there's so many zombie companies out there that when money's cheap and money gets created, they just survive on continued infusions of cheap money from investors to think, well, of course, it's got to go, go up, right? Mm-hmm. And you see so many business models out there that just don't make sense because they don't make any money. And they're hoping one day to but they can live for a decade because of all this cheap money that we print. So what do I say that? Well, because I think there needs to be these pullbacks, right? I think there needs to be these times where we see this, this shift. And to answer your question specifically about jobs, we're going through a demographic change right now, as I mentioned before, this, this you know retirement, baby boomers turning 70, 
and we're seeing them leave the job force. We're seeing others, again, for the past couple of years where we're getting kind of helicopter money from the government and the market's going up and people are being paid more to stay home and not work. And so you get used to that for a couple of years. It's pretty tough mm-hmm. you know, to drag yourself back. And so again, that comes back to that demand and supply. While consumption remains high and you need service workers and workers to meet that demand, and yet um, you know, supply of those workers because they're incentivized not to work stays low, well, then that starts to balance out. And I actually think for the, for the economy, that's a good thing because wages have not really risen on par uh, since the 80s. I mean, you think about my parents were teachers when I you know, was born in the 80s and two teachers could live on their salaries and we had yeah. a fairly comfortable lifestyle. Teachers in our neck of the woods can't live on what they make and yeah. live here. That's just not possible. So I do think, and, and gratefully so, that many of those things are, uh, you can't, you know, it's going to be tough to go back on that. I think yeah. many of those are a thing of the past and probably a good thing because, you know, People will will need ultimately to see wages rise and keep pace in order to live, or else we create another you know need where if people can't live, you know uh, at worst it becomes you know French Revolution Marie Antoinette <laughs> let them eat cake you know at, at best we have to subsidize that with something like universal basic income or something right that's interesting yeah I think I don't know that I would say our business owner clients would welcome a recession. But I do think that what you said about the seasons would resonate with the older ones. You know, mm-hmm. when I say older, I'm talking about me now. I'm 50, almost 50. Um, and I remember, you know, I was in my 30s when we went through the, the 7, 8, 9, 10 era. And uh, that was terrible. I mean, it was, it was um, things were changing so quickly. And the, the business owners that I saw, who it was their second Maybe they've been through the early 2000s, you know, 99, 2000, 2001 era, um, or the early 90s before that. You know, they were like, we're, we're cutting jobs. You know, mm-hmm. we've, we're going to start not necessarily the scalpel, but, you know, the, the buck knife, it, not the machete yet. You know? Right. <laughs> um, so they were quick to act, and they just understood this happens, and it's, it's going to happen, and we're going to get through it. And when we come back, um, you know, by the way, who got let go? Right. It wasn't the all-star A players. It was the C and D players. Mm-hmm. Right. It was the people that we, we they we were kind of falling prey to the warm body syndrome, which is a right. warm body is better than nobody. But when we didn't even need the warm body, it's like okay, we're going to cut payroll. Um, so I th- I see a generation of business owners who are in their 30s and their 40s. This is their first time around the block as business owners uh, coming th- coming into was and. You know, what's really interesting, we can go into COVID. I mean, COVID was a really weird time. It was really scary from a business perspective for about three months. Mm-hmm. And it was just really weird. It was like mid-April or mid-March to maybe mid-June, mid-July. And then and, – and it has a lot to do with where you live. So I'm speaking specifically about Florida. Right? Mm-hmm. I can't speak about what it was like in other parts of the country. But that doesn't really count in terms of – chalking up experience for having gone through a downturn right mm-hmm. and and honestly a lot of businesses their balance sheet went got a lot better through ppp funds sure i mean that was a huge you know bonus for a lot of businesses who found a way to furlough or put people at home or cut mm-hmm. expenses get through get this big cash injection and you know that we saw the demand come back pretty quickly because 
you know, if you got to replace your roof, you got to replace your roof. It's not like I'm going to be able to to not do it or choose not to. So when they're going through it this time, you know, what would you tell them in terms like make the case? You've just made the case. The seasons are good. We need those things. Mm -hmm. How do you take advantage of the season? So are you talking when you let me just go back. So you talk seasons, you're talking about like fall, winter, spring, summer, use the same analogy in the market. Right. So let's say so a recession is like a winter. Is that what you would say we're going into? Absolutely. Yeah. So what, what would you tell a small business owner? Hey, we're going into winter. Like, here's what here's how you prepare for winter. And here's how you come out of winter into spring. Like that's a good thing. Yeah, I would. That's a fantastic question, and I would, you know, continue with that season analogy, and then take, you know, the the analogy more agrarian in the sense of like, imagine you're a farmer, right? You you don't have the choice to not have seasons. Uh, well, maybe again, I've never farmed in Florida, but I'm talking about hydroponics. <laughs> okay, <right? laughs> I'm talking about let's say Ohio, where right. I'm from, all right? Because I used to work on a farm there. And, uh, and I have friends, you know, who own massive acreage up in northern uh, Minnesota, and, and they have like a giant commercial farm to the point where they have millions of dollars in equipment and those things. And so for them, they welcome the winter because it allows them to, to pay attention to the things that they didn't pay attention to during the planting, during, you know, the summer, during the harvest, namely their tools, right, their equipment. Hmm. And so they would spend the whole... Uh, winter servicing, sharpening, preparing that equipment so that when the spring comes and it's time, you know, to re-engage, that that they are as prepared as possible for that. I would say that for small business owners. Now, if they're in housing, right? Uh, how much of a winter will that be? Maybe it's a Florida winter, right? <laughs> where where you get a, a, a like a month where you put on a jacket, right, yeah. or a sweatshirt, but. I would say that for for business owners, uh, this is a great time, and I'm seeing this from the business owners I talk to, to really work on efficiencies in their business where they didn't have to before because sales were so great. They were just trying to, you know, get enough warm bodies in the room and service enough folks to not lose customers. But now when they're forced to to become efficient, I think it makes them look at parts of their their business they never had to look at before. Right. It's almost like when you're moving and you just, you know, bring that stuff in the house and, you know, you put it away. Uh, again, we don't have basements here in Florida, but when I lived in New England, you just put stuff in your basement and then you go to move. I'm like, I haven't looked at this since I moved in. Right? <laughs> right. And and I think that that's a really helpful thing for business owners. And I do want to say that, uh, especially in, in, as it compares to jobs, jobs are a lagging indicator, probably one of the, the last indicators, because if you have a, a small business or if you have any business and you're looking to save money, Chances are you don't want to have that tough conversation with Bob whose kid just went to college, right? You you look everywhere else first, uh, and then you talk to Bob. And so I don't know that jobs is the best place for us to understand uh, if and, and, and how big of a recession is coming because jobs tend to be that lagging indicator. Uh, there are other indicators I think that are more helpful in that regard. But I, I do think that, that a recession, you know, if and when it comes, is a really good time. And I'll, I'll give you one example. I had a friend who is a real estate investor back in New England, and um, he would have this practice of where he would always take profit from a year and set it aside, and profit from a year and set it aside. And he just, you know, during the the big years, he would just, you know, bankroll this this money, and it sits there. And and then in 2007, 2008, when the financial crisis hit, there were four or five multifamily units that went up for auction. Right, they got foreclosed on. They went, and he bought five homes, uh, five duplexes 
for $350,000 because of that money he had set aside just waiting and mm-hmm. waiting. And then, you know, now 12 years later, those properties are worth $3.2 million. And so while he didn't like the recession in the sense of its short-term impact on the business and, and revenue that it generated, it gave him tremendous opportunity. And I would say that to other small business you know, folks out there, if you have structured your business well and you have the means to survive, you can look around and say, gosh, can we actually grow this company through um, – through you know acquisitions, or can we you know somehow improve our our business? I know of one company here who they are having a hard time getting trusses, so they just bought two trust companies right? and said, "Hey, you know it's this vertical integration, mm-hmm. and they can do that because of how much money they're making from the homes that they're selling." And so I think that there's a lot of opportunities out there, but there just has to be a longer term view. Yeah, it's funny we were we were preaching something very similar during the the COVID era that three four months of hard uncertainty, which is there are going to be businesses that uh, respond to this and there are going to be businesses that put their head in the sand or bat in the hatches and just try to weather the storm. And the ones that are prepared for it and are acting during it are going to come out the other side with more market share. Both businesses may realize a real dollar decrease in in revenue and net income, but market share, one's going to give up market share to the other. And it didn't happen. I mean, it, it happened in some sectors. It happened, say, in like the restaurant industry and mm-hmm. the hospitality industry. And we saw some businesses just decide, you know, we were, th- it was, we were thinly capitalized to start. We didn't, we don't have enough to, um, to es- essentially recapitalize the business from an inventory perspective if we have to start back up. And so we're just going to close the doors. Um, but I do see opportunities, you know, and if, if we do have a recession, um, it needs to be long enough for those effects to play out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll ask you that, like, what do you think, and if I ask you to get out your crystal ball, um, in terms of like severity length, like, what do you think we're looking at? Is it, is it something like the early nineties where, you know, I was in college during that time. Um, and I was studying business, but by all accounts, I was reading afterwards in the, in the late 90s. wasn't that bad. You know, the dot-com bust in 1999, 2000, wasn't that bad. Um, it affects some industries v- very harshly, but those tend to be, you know, the, you hear the case studies of the zombie companies like mm-hmm. you were talking about that didn't have any business existing anyway. There's just some stupid money that allowed them to live. To live right? mm-hmm. So what do you think uh, in terms of what we're looking at? And you can you can talk locally, or you can talk nationally, or you can just punt and say I don't know. Well, I I will definitely take option three, punt and say I don't know, because <laughs> and I will tell you that if there's any economist out there or anyone that says well, this is what's going to happen, it's going to be you know. And I I'm in the financial world. I follow a lot of folks, and the ones I like the most, they have a theory based on their models, because that's all we have ultimately is models. Uh, but if they can tell you definitively anything, then you know. Uh, I, I have some swampland here Go for what I want to sell you too. <laughs> right. uh, so what, but what I will say is that I think it really comes down, uh, as I said before, to models and ultimately, you know, um, ultimately to, to the government, to the Fed, right? Um, because in the past, when you've seen us come out of those places, like what brought us really out of 08, 09 was the Fed, right? That's, it was printing money. It was, uh, you know, similar thing. We saw that in 11 and 14, right? We see the, this money injection, injection, injection. And I don't know that that just necessarily stops, but I know that for a period of time, what I'll be looking for is uh, a sharp retreat in inflation. Now, when you look at inflation right now, it's, it's over 8%. 
And if I look at that, I think that there's the 2% that's kind of your standard Fed goal. I would say 3% of that's probably supply chain issues. Because if you think about this massive demand that gets created, you know, minus a workforce during COVID, and, and I'm sure your small business owners you're talking to, the ones I talk to, I mean, supply chain is an issue, mm -hmm. right? Uh, cartons or even massive containers from China that used to cost 20,000, you know, 2,000 are now costing 30,000, right? So that's getting sorted out, you know, ships, all that stuff. That's 3%. But the other 3% there is demand. And that's what the Fed is really trying to attack and bring that down. And so a couple of indicators I think people can look at. One was uh, uh, last week, it's the ISM, um, and that's Institute for you know, Supply Management. But really this is PM, it's Purchasing Managers Index, right? This is a thing of the purchasing managers. It's a survey of 300 you know, manufacturing companies. And this is one of the indicators I look at and actually historically has been one that the Fed looks at. If that, and, and here's how it, it, the numbers are, right? If that number comes in and that, that thing comes out um, you know, the first week of every month, um, I think it's the first business day of every month, if I'm if I'm right. But it comes out, and what it does is it it tells you uh, again. We think about the difficult decisions that need to be made, right? Do I do I let Bob go, or do I cut back some of our orders, sure. right? You're probably going to go and do the orders, right? And that's where the PMI or the you know production um, in the purchasing managers index there, I think, really gives you an idea, and the Fed pays attention to that too, because historically. When that number is 50 or lower, they start lowering rates in order to kind of create demand and say, okay, let's bring this back, right? And if that, so if that number is above 50, it shows you know, growth. If it's at 50, it means it's steady. If it's below 50, it means it's contracting. And so every time it's gone below 50, then all of a sudden Fed kicks into gear. But here's the thing, they can't, right? Because of this inflation, they've been ordered, they have to. And so now they're in this tricky spot and that is one of the, I think, the big fears that folks are saying and why they most folks won't give you this prediction of how long it's going to take because I think that is the first and primary thing we have to see is this inflation decreased in order for the Fed to actually be back in a spot where they can, you know, take action. So, okay, I'm a little slow on the uptake. So let me back you up for a second. Mm -hmm. So you're saying they survey purchasing managers first business day of every month. And this is their sentiment on on whether things are good or bad. Well, it's it's multiple indicators in the purchasing managers thing. It's not just you know what are they buying and not buying, right? Okay. It has several things rolled in, but it is a survey to them, and so mm -hmm. it is a kind of snapshot of 300 manufacturers in the United States uh, and a view on kind of yes, what what are they doing? Okay, so below 50 they are pulling back their purchasing. Right, you're, you're seeing a decrease. And okay. so, of course, a decrease in manufacturing ultimately leads to a decrease in gross domestic product, right? And so, therefore, it's a leading indicator in that way where that's a trickle-down effect. If you're ordering less, uh, then, then you're going to produce less, and then gross domestic product should be less. So you're saying in the past, the Fed would be looking at that purchase manager's index number, oh, it's below 50, let's lower rates mm -hmm. to make money cheaper so people will go out there and buy more things and purchasing managers will have a reason to buy goods to manufacture to sell to people with money. Correct. But in this case, the Fed has been told, you gotta make inflation go down. And if you lower rates and make money cheaper, it's just gonna contribute to the problem. It's gonna make demand so, high. So they can't do anything. Right, they're kind of stuck and their credibility's at stake. So they are, so the purchasing managers, um, so so how does that impact demand? So you're saying 
they're not going to act. Money's not going to get any cheaper. So that's going to make the demand side inflation go down. Well, what will happen there is that if, if that goes down, if it goes down low enough, like I said before, the Fed will raise rates until they break something or break enough things. Mm-hmm. And, and seeing the ISM get below 50 is a break, right? Okay. That, is a, that, that shows a sign of, okay, now there's contraction there. And the question ultimately will be, is it enough? But that is it enough really only pertains now to inflation. Before the main focus, the thing you would look at is GDP. Okay. GDP is on the shelf until we can get inflation down. That is the, the, the thing that the Fed is now being explicitly charged with. They've always been charged with it, but it's Biden pulling aside and ordering Jay Powell and saying, this must happen. Okay. So continue to make money more expensive. People don't want to buy things. If, if a manufacturer is out there and they've got stuff for sale, nobody wants to buy it. They lower the price and it takes away the inflation. There you go. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of basic Adam Smith, economic supply and demand, right? And as you lower demand uh, and supply increases, well, then in order, and we're seeing this in the housing market right now, right? We just sold our house for way above what I thought we could ever get mm-hmm. for it. Right. And, and a house with more square footage and a pool, uh, which we didn't have, sold for less than ours sold for just a month later. Because as you said from your you know, brokerage friend, demand is starting to come down. Mm-hmm. As interest rates go up, people can afford less and less and less. And so therefore, as supply rises, well, you have to, to lower prices to meet that demand. And then ultimately, you know where they meet because something's only worth what someone pays for. Right? Right, right. So once, once that connection happens, but that, that's where I don't expect this 2008 50% drawback in the housing market. But I do think you start to see a correction because it just can't keep going up in that pace. Okay. So if you're sitting there as a business owner and, or, and you say, let me ask you this question. Um, it's your job to kind of know things like the purchasing managers index, right? Mm-hmm. It has direct bearing on what you do every day, but it's kind of far removed from what sure. the HVAC company owner is looking at on a day in day out basis. Right. But if, if somebody's listening to this, and they're a business owner and they say, I need to up my game. You know, I, I don't, I, I prefer not to rely on a, a podcast episode to tell me <laughs> what's going up with the economy. Um, I mean, what would you tell a business owner? And you've been a business owner, so if you were in that role today, what would you be looking at? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say two things. One in general, for for most business owners, if you're a $2 million to $20 million business in Southwest Florida and you're in the housing industry, your environment, right, your market here is very unique to here. Now, are there larger things happening in the broader market that will impact you? Sure, right? Uh, Interest rates, it'll impact you. Um, Policy, it'll impact you. So is there a a knowledge you need to have about how the larger macroeconomic things will impact you? Sure, I mean, you can't be blind to those things, but you only need to know about them to the degree in which they have historically impacted your industry. Because if not, this is a rabbit hole and you can dig into it all day long it's only a matter of, of how impactful it is on your actual business. But you know, we go back to this you know, ISM number, right? The, the Purchasing Managers Index is a survey. I would encourage small business owners to, to create their own surveys, hmm. right? To have folks that they know of in their industry nationally, in their industry regionally, and in their industry locally, 
and call them once. Hey, what are you seeing? This is what I'm seeing, right? Now, sometimes that can be, and you could speak to this, Joey. Sometimes, you know, do you want to speak to your competitors here in your, in your main market? What are you seeing? What are you seeing? But in general, you know, if there's enough customers, if there's enough business, having that knowledge and that own survey of saying, what are we seeing? Are we seeing contraction? And therefore, knowing, having that plan laid out beforehand, if I see these things, here's my plan to handle those things. It's very difficult in the moment emotionally. And so I say to the traders that I work with, right? Uh, you have to have a plan before you get into trade because if it starts going against you, you get emotional, you start thinking with your heart instead of your head, you're out of fear as, as opposed to having a plan. So that's what I would have, you know, small business owners do is to have your own trade, you know, know your trade journals. You know, there's a lot of people out there that, that will talk and they'll just talk because they get paid to talk. But how many of those folks have said things in the past that you have, res have resonated with you, you've seen to be true, they have, you know, spoken to something that actually did come in the market, they understand a little bit and historic, you know, data will show that for them. So those are the three things I would say. One, understand the way in which the, the bigger macroeconomic picture impacts your industry, if at all. Generally it should, but understand in which ways. Secondarily, have your own survey, your own people, the folks you listen to, feet on the ground, what are they seeing, what's happening, and then have a plan to say, hey, not if, uh, you know, if this happens, you know, then that happens. Because if not, when it hits you, right, if that wave hits, then you have no plan. You can be very emotional about what you want to do. If you see, hey, if business contracts by 10%, here's the first three things we're going to do, hmm. right? So that, that's the preparation. But I would also encourage them to say, okay, and now what's the opportunity in that, right? If, if I start to hear other businesses contracting or even, you know, what... Where do, where do my eyes go? What am I, what am I watching? How, what are the opportunities here? So, you know, it's very easy in times like this, Joey, to, to get dominated by fear and just ask the question, like in COVID, how do we survive? Mm -hmm. Oh man, this is crazy. How do we survive? I think the, you know, additional question that's really important to ask is what opportunities exist and how might we get stronger and thrive out of this? Because like I said, you know, even when summer, you know, winter comes, yeah. like springs around the corner, we just don't know when. Yeah. I like the uh, I like to create your own surveys, and, and it's interesting because we were talking about earlier businesses who are experiencing materials increases, labor increases, direct labor. Um, you know, they need to adjust prices, and they're looking at it essentially in a spreadsheet. And but if the market isn't there, you can raise prices all you want. It's just going to reduce sales. So mm -hmm. you know, a lot of when these topics come up they'll do a little bit of secret shopping. You know, they'll call around to competitors mm -hmm. in the area and see where, where market prices are at. Um, but I like the idea of rather than reactively going out there to see, survey the market, proactively survey the market on a quarterly basis. And, mm -hmm. and like, we're going to have Sally's going to call, you know, every competitor within a hundred miles and just see what they're charging, you know, for a, for the first hour on a plumbing service stop, you know, or something like that. Because, we may not we may see the other side of it is we're making those changes now for a specific reason we've had increases in costs but absent increases in cost we may not have a reason to change those mm -hmm. right so you might start calling around and you find that prices are actually going down right and you're like oh shoot like now we're 15% premium to the market right and that's why we're not getting as many calls so I love the idea create your own surveys trade journals um, you know it's interesting I think in the last I will say since 2010 11 
um, desperation, you know, is, is often a good thing. It's good in your spiritual life, you know, <laughs> to be a little bit desperate. Right. <laughs> um, it's also good uh, from a business standpoint. We were talking about this before the podcast because desperate business owners tend to be pretty humble and coachable and open to to thinking about things differently than the way they thought about them that got them into the place where they're at now. But um, it seems like since 2000, I'll say since 2011, 12, there hasn't been a whole lot of desperation. It's mm-hmm. been kind of unprecedented. I mean, we were saying five or six years ago, we're due, we're due, we're due for a recession, for a pullback, like that right. eight-year, whatever it is, cycle. It just never came, right? Mm-hmm. So now maybe it's around the corner. Um, but my point is, during this time, I think I've seen, man, maybe it's because of technology, maybe the world is just moving in a different direction in terms of dissemination of information and maybe the quality of information. Um but I don't know that trade journals are are on the same. I don't. I don't think their game is where it was maybe twenty years ago. Right. Um, well, that's why I say historically, I think you need data to show you. And that's me speaking as as a trader and a person in finances. That you know, I I just it's just history. Yeah. I mean, I've gone back and studied the recessions all the way back, you know, to the '70s, and I actually think this is probably most similar to the early '80s, where we had a you know a a Fed chair named Volcker, you know, who was in who just kept raising rates, and and that ultimately was necessary. Uh, to where we were at. But that's why I say, and you make a great point about the trade journals, I think information actually has changed over the past 20 years in terms of the motivations for why someone puts that out, right? Yeah, good point. Uh, And so trade journals, yeah, they might be obsolete at this point because why would they forecast a downturn in your industry while it's the people who stand to benefit from the industry and the folks buying from them, um, you know, that, that fund that journal. So it's a great point, which is why I say, Make sure you got to pick the voices you listen to and the folks you trust, which is, you know, if you create your own surveys, you can certainly do that. That's great. Are there any uh, tools technology wise or or informational tools that you would recommend to small business owners? Anything in addition to what we've talked about? Yeah, again, it will go back to my first point in terms of saying I can give them tools and I'm, I'm happy to talk about this. I'm sure we'll put it even in the notes for the podcast, but only make sure that those those numbers uh, are pertinent to your business. And so I'll give you an example. Um, there's a, there's a uh, thing I look at so the, called the OCED um, leading indicator. You can go to <clears throat> OCED.org and it talks to you about three different types of, of uh, indexes there. One's the CLI, it's uh, business confidence, is the BCI, then there's consumer confidence, the CCI. And I'll give all these to you, Joey. But you know, if you're in a business where consumer confidence matters, you know, and like you said, if you're a plumber, if you got to get your roof fixed, yeah. consumer confidence, maybe that doesn't bother you at sure. all. But if right? you're a custom home builder, Bingo. that could be hugely important. That could important. be hugely important, right? And so um, doing a little bit of research to understand how those uh, those those indexes have generally, you know, moved in relationship to, um, you know, let's say there's an ETF for home builders, for retail and saying, hey, as, you know, as CCI goes down, you know, retail or retail goes down, or let's say a CCI goes down, um, real goes down. I, I don't, you have to do that research to figure out correlation. But then I would, I would say in that sense, 
being mindful of what are those leading indicators for your industry and for your business. So a couple, you know, if you're looking for macro information, there's a, a site called 42macro.com, a guy that, that I like it for like 50 bucks a, a, a month. He has a service that will kind of send you briefings that you can read. He's a guy I like and I trust. There's another website called realvision.com that's a little more robust. It's got a lot of different offerings that you can look into. But again, uh, a free one is that OCED.org that talks about the, the composite indicator, that's the CLI, the business confidence, and that's the BCI, and then the consumer confidence, the CCI. And interestingly enough, consumer confidence, according to that indication, is lower now than at the bottom of COVID. Really? Consumer confidence is lower now than at the bottom of COVID. And that was a lot of fear, Joey. That's it. That's extraordinary. Right. Because, I mean, it, it was legit fear, like fear for your life. Mm -hmm. I mean, people were concerned about their health, their family members' health, sending their kids to school. And I can see where that level of fear would drive consumer conflict. Like, I'm not spending anything because I don't know if the apocalypse is coming. Sure. Tomorrow. I mean, that was sure. not beyond the pale right. back then. But you're saying it's lower now than it was then. And why do you think that is? Well, think about it, right? There, there was this, this phrase that I missed when it came out. Because in the past, when the Fed said that they were going to help, they're always like, we're going to help up to $1 trillion. We're going to help up to two. And this happened, and they said, we're going to give unlimited help. And I, said, and I heard that, and I was like, what does that mean? Like, you, know, I, I, you never heard it before. I almost didn't believe them. But they weren't lying. Hmm. They, you know, like you said, this just crazy number of 40% of the money. Everyone, I, was, I was getting emails from the SBA begging me to take money from them. Everyone got money, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you got, you got uh, stimulus money, you got rent money, you got PPI money, and money just was raining down from, from everywhere. And so why is it lower now than then? Well, because once that fear started to come down, Boom, Uncle Sam stepped in, everyone got money. You get money, you get money. You want, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, all of a sudden, like, and that we look back, it was really only like a month or two yeah. before like the summer came and everyone, oh, I guess we're fine. Because the market bounced like crazy. I was waiting for the double bottom, because that's one of the patterns I look for. There was no bot double bottom. It was a V-shaped recovery. That does not exist in nature. And, it, and why? It would be liquidity, money. And so now we're at this spot where I think people are a little more savvy. They got all that money, and now they're paying for it in higher inflation, higher prices, and higher things. And they look at the, and they say, well, in the past, how do we fix it? Well, the government's going to fix mm. it. Now, what the government used to fix it is causing the problem. So how does the government step in? That's why I think we have lower That's a really profit. interesting uh, interesting kind of insight. Now we're in this microeconomics right. area, which is fascinating. Um, but I can see where, if you go back to April, May, June of 2020, and where did you see kind of the real effects of COVID? Well, we can't go to our the restaurant that we normally go to. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're not, we're watching church online or, mm -hmm. but you're going to the restaurant, not every day, or you weren't, you're going once or twice a week, you're going to church once a week. And, and then you take the money that you got, right? The stimulus money or whatever. And you buy a bigger TV because we're at home watching movies all the time, or mm -hmm. you put pavers on the pool deck because we're spending time and having families over. And so your day in day out, yes, you were seeing the effects of COVID, but once you got over the fear of I'm going to get sick or, and, and something's going to happen to my health, you didn't see, you weren't confronted with the effects today. You're confronted at the gas station, Bingo. at the grocery store, Bingo. 
if you're a business owner, you're seeing it and employees are hard to get and they're leaving. And so it's everywhere right mm -hmm. now. It's, it's much more pervasive. And I can see where that thousand cuts has been a lot more impactful than the, the one kind of big drop that we saw. Right. Well, and I'll say this other point, right, as, as it relates to the stock market in my area. Uh, recently, we had uh, seven weeks in a row of a red market. That had not happened since like 2000, 2001.com bubble. So think about that, that in the midst of COVID, right, we didn't, even in the midst of that, we never had seven red weeks in a row. We had a, we had a couple weeks, then a bounce, then a couple weeks, and then a massive bounce. And within a couple months, the market had got back to its COVID, you know, pre-COVID highs. And we had this meme in the markets of like, buy the dip. What do you mean buy the dip? Just buy it. Doesn't matter. What are you buying? Doesn't matter. Just buy it, right? It's going to keep going up. So all those folks that are stuck at home, they're not losing confidence as a consumer because anything they throw money at in the market's going up. Right. Their 401k is going up. Their, you know, their investments are going up. They're at home. They're bored. They're trying the stock market. I'm a genius. Right. Keeps going up, right? And so they have this discretionary income and they're feeling good about it. And now it's the opposite. We've had the second worst year since the start of the Great Depression. We had seven straight down weeks in the market. Things that never happened during COVID are happening now, and it's impacting the psyche of your typical consumer. Interesting. Well, the other thing that as we wrap up, uh, I just kind of want to go back and re reiterate the, the farmer and winter analogy. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a huge takeaway for business owners. You know, you're not going to stop the recession. You're not going to change your market. You're not going to, you know, redefine your business model so that this doesn't affect you. Right? We're, right. we're It's going to happen. There are some aspects of it that, um, you know, I, I think for all the CSRs out there, like this would be the best thing that ever happened to them. Sure. <laughs> you know, like instead of having to pick up the phone 180 times a day, you know, it's going to go down to 120. That's fantastic. And the business owner is loathing the 30% decrease, but you know, the people on the front lines are probably ready for a breather. Right. So, I mean, that's one silver lining in it is your people, every, every field technician that I get time with, they're all running, have been running so hard for so long. They're on the edge of burnout. And yeah, I mean, they're taking jobs uh, for somebody who's you know, for five more bucks an hour. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not the only reason, right? They're, they're kind of just burned out. Sure. But the efficiency side of it, when you think of software, when you think of systems and processes that have broken over the course of this, you know, they just couldn't keep up, but it's all we got. So I know it's terribly inefficient to send four paper copies around the office. Now you st step back and go, when we come out of this, we're not sending paper copies anywhere. We've got to find a better way to do this. Right. Um, and I think there's an extraordinary opportunity for that. It, it fortunately, uh, sorry if you don't live in Southwest Florida, but for, for you and I, um, this market's not going anywhere. It's becoming more attractive every day. Mm -hmm. um, and the businesses here really need to start thinking beyond the winter. And that, that means, and I liked what you said also about what is your plan going to be? You mm -hmm. got to figure it out, like start planning now. And the same with COVID. And when we, we have businesses that went through COVID, um, I remember talking to a business owner, uh, who we had known each other, but they weren't a client. And they called me uh, in maybe first week of first or second week of April. 
And he's like, what, is, what, what do I need to do? Like, what are you telling your clients to do? I said, well, whatever frequency your leadership team meet, was meeting on, you need to double or triple that. So if you guys were meeting every week, you need to meet every two weeks or every three weeks. Because we were dealing with COVID protocols and mm-hmm. testing and how long do people have to be out. And it was a major disruption in terms of scheduling and that kind of stuff. So I said, your, your leadership team needs to double or triple the frequency that's getting together. He goes, that's great. Uh, who should be on my leadership team? <laughs> And I was like, oh, right, no, I got a problem. But my point is, the businesses that were that had a discipline of planning and then executing against the plan were able to respond a lot more quickly when things were coming around that were unexpected. And the same thing holds here, except it can be almost more insidious because it's a slower burn. Mm-hmm. Businesses two years ago who were faced with COVID, and all of a sudden I've got five of my fifteen techs out because they tested positive. They don't have a choice but to react. But a business that's on a slower burn in a recessionary economy, they could bleed out without really even knowing it until it's too late. So right. have a plan, understand what you're going to do as things change, because we're already seeing them change somewhat. Mm-hmm. I'd also say this is going to be, in my mind, I look at this as an extraordinary opportunity for a business owner to look at personnel and say, there's going to be some people who come on the market. They're not going to be any cheaper. I, I totally agree with you about real wages having gone nowhere. And that person who is um, a newly apprenticed plumber or, or electrician or, or a line cook, they're probably making now what they should have been making 10 or 15 years right. ago. Uh, so I don't think that's going anywhere. But the businesses that aren't well run – going into a recession may not be able to hold on to those people. So mm-hmm. it's not that you're going to get them any cheaper, but you might get some really good people. And, right. you, and you might look at yeah, who's on the bubble, who's been here because we had to have them. And, and we've tried to work with them. They just don't seem motivated. They just don't seem willing. Um, so not just market share, but man, human capital, the people who make the business run are most important to it. They're, right. They're about to, you might be able to go shopping pretty soon. Right. The one word I would give folks, Joe, is proactive in this. And and this is where I actually make a plug for your business. Having been a business owner, oftentimes as business owners, it's so easy to get wrapped up working in the business, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they say, hey, where do you want to be, you know, in a year? Here. Like <laughs> their answer is <laughs> here, right? And they don't have that longer term vision because when you're in the, you know, in the eye of the storm, when you're in the business, I've been there, you're just, you know, trying to keep up. It's hard to have that outside perspective. And this is where I have folks even in trading that give me that outside perspective. You know, one of my um, the folks, uh, heroes in trading, Warren Buffett, you know, said when there's, you know, blood in the streets, buy real estate. And I don't know if it's his exact quote or he took it from somewhere, but it really changed my view to understand that at the time where you'd think you'd be most worried is actually the, the point of most opportunity. But it's so hard to see that. You know, when that blood's in the street, maybe it's your neighbor, right? Or, or some. So I don't want to beat that analogy to death, but I would say it's so important for businesses right now to have businesses like yours work with them because when you're trying to survive or when you're in that spot, it's so hard to see the opportunities from the outside and to think, hey, if I, you know, and most folks that are business owners, they have a vision in mind. This is when I want to retire. This is what I want to sell the business for. This is the legacy I want to pass on to my kids. But how do you get from here to there? through that valley, through that storm, and oftentimes that outside perspective and a plan that helps, you know, someone helps you and, you know, kind of carry through day by day, week by week, month by month to get there. 
so that you can work in the business if you need to, or if they find your best uses outside looking down in on it, then, then, and so again, that is just my encouragement to the small business well, owners out there. Thanks for the plug. Yeah. Have, <laughs> have folks like, you know, Joey and his team, uh, at Axiom help you out because, uh, as a business owner, it was during those times that that outside perspective was so huge to help me grow and ultimately sell my companies. Yeah. It's, I appreciate it. Um, we don't, we don't claim to be smarter than the average bear. We're just outside the frame so we can see the picture a little bit differently. But it's, I think it's a sp- important, you know, essentially, you know, when I'm talking to my friends in winter in Minnesota and be like, Florida's pretty nice. Here's the outside perspective. Come check it out. You know? And so, yeah, I, I think that's huge because it, it becomes harder uh, during that time. And, and that's why it's the most you know perfect time. Great. Well, thanks, Ben. I really appreciate you giving us your, your part of your day today. It's been very helpful. I got lots of notes. I'm going to steal prolifically from your, <laughs> your comments and uh, appreciate you being here. My pleasure. Thanks, Joe.